0: We are the visionaries, the rule breakers, the rebels, and then trailblazers.
1: We are the change We want to recognize the traditional peoples of this continent whose land was stolen nearly 250 years ago. We at Young Changemakers Headquarters would like to particularly acknowledge the traditional landowners where we are recording and editing our stories, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The rich storytelling history of the world's oldest living culture is what we proudly pay respect to when we share stories at conversations with change makers. It is said that the practice of storytelling sustains communities, validates experiences, nurtures relationships, and serves as a form of important cultural continuation for Indigenous peoples. Changemakers, and the stories that we share, we too hope relationships are nurtured, experiences validated, and our community sustained. In conversations with changemakers, people are sharing their authentic stories with us. This episode comes with a content warning about mental health crisis and violence towards people with disability. You can always reach out to the Changemakers team for a chat, or if you need immediate assistance, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Today on Conversations with Changemakers, we're joined by Rosemary Kayes. Rosemary is an Australian human rights lawyer disability rights activist, researcher, and academic. She is a senior research fellow at the University of New South Wales Faculty of Law and the chair of the UN Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, having contributed to the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in 2004. Rosemary is a rebel and a change maker. She takes no bullshit, fights ableism like a pirate and is tearing down the walls of segregation to ensure all people with disability are an integral part of society across the globe and is always making sure that people with a disability are seen on an equal basis with others. Uh, it's lovely to have you, Rosemary.
0: Thank you, Ellie. What a fabulous introduction. Is that your description of me or, um, because I'm quite happy to own it.
1: Is that okay? That's our description of you.
0: It's a cracking introduction. Okay,
1: good. I'm glad you found it that way. That's how we think of you. Um, Now, you have been fighting for the rights of people with disability for decades, and I guess, the hard first question is that we have rights, we have legislation, we have UN conventions, but as we have seen with the Disability Royal Commission, people with disability are still um, treated like second-class citizens in this country. How what advice would you offer to people like the change makers in this program? Um, who want to be effective advocates for disability rights in their everyday lives when they come up against
0: such poor treatment? Um, I suppose, I mean, for me, it's understanding the fundamentals and the fundamentals are ableism. So understanding what underpins a lot of that attitudinal chain, uh, that attitudinal um belief system that somehow there are typical modes of the human condition that are what's required to to live a life of value. And if we can understand that, we can understand what we want to change. And so it's about trying to get people to see that we are all quite diverse. And that the human condition is an infinitely varied condition, and that everyone um, has equal value to contribute. And for change makers, for young change makers, it's about being yourselves, about living, you know, your life and um not accepting that narrow normative framework that other people like to impose
1: rosemary do you believe that there can be true equality and inclusion for people with disability while any kind of segregation exists for people with disability
0: no i know that's a a really simple answer but yes no i mean fundamentally segregation goes to the heart of of Ableism, I mean, it's it's ableism writ large. Like they are saying quite fundamentally, what, what segregation is saying quite fundamentally is that we are different in some way and we need special things that are different and segregated and isolated from the community that we are somehow inherently vulnerable and are needing of need of care, treatment and protection. And that's some of our lives. Okay. Um and that's not true. I mean we are we are not you know Mm. vulnerable. We are not inherently only in need of care, treatment and protection. And the more that that is reinforced by having legislation that permits it, by permitting it through um, programs like the NDIS, through the SIL program and through maintaining segregated education, that just reinforces it to the community that, that's required, and so it, it's seen as benign and not seen as something that we should be railing against. That, we, I mean, this segregation is—if it happened in any other context—would not be acceptable. I mean, it's the fundamental basis of the modern human rights framework. There. The race convention is based all around you know, trying to stop segregation. It was apartheid in South Africa and the separate but equal structures within the southern states in the United States of America. Um, and so it was that growing segregation that the first binding international instrument was developed to address. And so if segregation on the scale that happens in the disability context happened in any other context, there would be complete outrage, but it's accepted in the area of disability.
1: There is serious concern in Australia right now, um, as I'm sure you're aware, with the upcoming release of the Disability Royal Commission that it won't call for the end of all segregation, that it will take some middle path and it won't paint a kind of blueprint for how we end segregation. That's what we wanted from the Royal Commission is some kind of way forward of how we actually end segregation in this country. If if that is the case, if if it doesn't call for the end of all segregation, how, firstly, do you, do you think that's a missed opportunity and the wrong thing? And secondly, how do we start to, as a disability movement, without that big structural support, start to create a blueprint for ending segregation that gets public
0: support? Um, I, I have sneaking suspicions that you could be right when it comes to the Royal Commission and its findings. I will be um, incredibly disappointed if that is the case and that it doesn't take a strong position in terms of segregation. But if it doesn't and the chances are that it may not, um, I have no idea, I have not seen any anything of the, the reports, but the interim report was not encouraging. What we need to do is to hang on to the human rights principles that were supposed to underpin the Royal Commission. And the human rights principles are quite clear that segregation is against the objects and purpose of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And segregation is inherently discrimination. And so I think what we've got to do is continue to argue that segregation is not acceptable. It's we don't require. And look, the Four Corners program last night just highlighted the reason why we we needed a Royal Commission. And it was on the basis of segregation in and capture of people's lives, where the accommodation that they're in and then the, the support they receive all come from the same service provider which creates a closed environment and it's very difficult for people. They are just drivers of violence and abuse and exploitation. Now, we've had a Royal Commission. We've had a complete change of the service sector um, in the transition through to NDIS. And we're still getting the same reports of violence, abuse, and exploitation that were happening in the lead up to the Royal Commission. So fundamentally, we haven't addressed the core of it. And the core of it is that we're not supporting people to live openly in the community where they're not in closed environments and vulnerable to violence, abuse and exploitation. I mean, that's what creates it. People can get away with it because the oversight doesn't have the reach. They don't have the mechanisms. Where were the community visitors into these boarding houses? Where was the support for these people to make informed choices about where they live? And not just listen to, to, you know, the the fraudsters that are saying, "Oh, come live with us. You can, um, you know, we'll have a flat. There'll be a big, big flat screen TV. You can eat pizza every night." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where was where was someone independent of those mechanisms in that person's life? that could have raised the alarm? What was their access to an advocate? I mean, the response from the commission was pretty average. The um, safeguards commission was pretty average. I mean, they said, of course we don't track people. Where it's not, you know, people have individual choice to decide where and with whom they live. Well, lots of people don't because, They don't have somewhere accessible to live and lots of the time what happens is they end up somewhere where the service, the support services and the accommodation are linked and that's a closed environment and those closed environments, as we're seeing time and time again, are dangerous places for people with disability.
1: And would you say that those closed environments are one of the most pressing challenges to advancing the rights of people with disability in Australia? Or is there another pressing challenge that you think is more.
0: There's so many challenges. I mean, until we break the nexus with special education, um, we're not going to get kids going to school together. I mean, that is one of the greatest areas that can break down you know, um the lack of inclusion in our community. If kids go to school together, if kids have an understanding of the diversity of our community, they expect it in their local community. They expect it when they grow up. They so they expect it in their workplace.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they the recognize grocery, I I saw a poll the other day that said that 52% yep. of parents would prefer that their their child not be in a classroom with a child with disability, 52%. How do we change that thinking? In in 2023, for 52 more than half of parents to think that it is better for their child to be in a classroom without children with disabilities, like that is that is keeping the special schools open as much as anything else as well.
0: Well, there's a failure there in terms of the type of survey that would have been done. I mean, you if you drill down deeper with those people, it would be um, they don't want their child to miss out on any education opportunity. They have probably limited information. And most probably hear the worst end of the experience that some you know some um kids can have in schools where there's kids with disabilities in mainstream classes you know they hear the extreme they never hear the regular yeah. and so people are responding on very limited information and being an Asked a very superficial question. You know, do you want your kid to go to school with somebody, with other children with disability? And the only thing they might know about kids with disability is that, you know, some kids can act out. And so they're immediately going to say, well, no. You know, they want the best for their child. That, yes, is understandable, but just responding with that very simplistic answer then sets up that narrative in the public domain Mm. that half the population don't want kids with disability. Yeah. In their schools. Yeah, it does. And Um, it paints kids with disabilities as the problem. What the problem is, is there isn't the resourcing in the schools to ensure that we have true inclusive education. It's not the kids with disabilities. No. It's the failure of the system. Absolutely.
1: Now, I want to ask, uh, our change makers they're young but they have not escaped disability discrimination whether that be in um, employment in education um whether it be out in the just community going about their everyday life and what a lot of them want to know is when they come up against hard hardcore discrimination what is the first thing they should do what what can they do? What should they do? Um, you know, it's all right to if you know the uh, Disability Discrimination Act backwards and forward, but you know, a lot of them don't and a lot of them can't. Um, but they don't know what to do to protect their rights. And what would you say to them? How do they protect their rights if they come up against discrimination?
0: Well, I talk to someone. I mean, if they don't know the DDA back to front and upside down, talk to somebody that does. You know, there are legal resources, there are advocacy organizations that can support them. Um, you shouldn't just let it go.
1: You know, even don't... if it's uncomfortable, even if it'll make you stand out, even if it'll rub the feathers the wrong way rosemary
0: um find out what your options are is yep. what i'm saying i'm not saying you know bash oh, down i the think... walls. i'm saying you need to be informed and so find out what your options are and then you can decide
1: yeah
0: and the process like if you say you contact one of the community legal centres like the australian center for disability law i mean they'll tell you what your options are and your options could be just really simple like them helping you write a letter Mm. Um, or it might be serious enough that they suggest that you really should do something about it but then that's still a choice for you
1: yeah don't get me wrong, the two times I, I had a choice to make, I I took it on and I don't regret it one little bit. But um it is hard in that moment when you think oh, this is gonna upset people, this is gonna put people off, am I gonna burn bridges? It's hard in those moments. Yeah, you feel like it is it's very bothersome.
0: Yep. And there's many times that I've just gone, ah, oh, I can't be bothered. Yeah. And there's other times that I've thought about it and I've done something about it. Yeah. So, I mean, all you can do is be informed and make a decision. And you've got to trust yourself. Trust yourself how? Can you explain that a bit? Trust trust yourself that you'll make a, a good decision for yourself. I mean, don't be afraid, like, don't let the opinions of other people decide whether or not you call out discrimination. You've got to decide whether, okay, that's not worth, this is not the ditch I'm gonna die in. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you might feel that you need to call it out.
1: Yeah. All right, well I have two more questions for you Rosemary. My my second last is what is your favorite disability rights campaign that you've ever worked on? Um you would have worked on many um uh fights for a particular right or fights for a particular <laughs> system change or um is there one that stands out to you as being that one where it all came together and you, as probably with a team of great people, won a battle you weren't expecting or that was particularly um, meaningful
0: to you? Oh, definitely the convention and the convention negotiations. Yeah, When we went in there, it wasn't a given there was going to be a convention. We had to convince some fairly, you know, big and powerful governments uh, like the European Union and the um, and our uh, own government, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Thank you. That's okay. Um, and they needed to be swayed that it wasn't just something we could attach a schedule to the existing covenants, the international covenants. Inter- Uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, it was something that we needed to have a dedicated convention for. And the four years that I worked on um, the drafting of the convention, there was a series of fabulous activists that were there with the non-government organisations that were there. Um, And I was on the Australian government delegation and it was probably the the most important um, area of activism for myself. Um, So I don't always view it as a process of activism because it was very much my legal profession as well. At play there so I saw it very much as work rather than um because my activism is done in my voluntary capacity so yeah it's it it brought together many aspects of my life and it I was just, very rewarding it's just
1: incredible um like the convention seems to me as somebody, you know, who's 30 um, to have been around forever, but to think it was only there in 2004, um, that's just incredible that, um, you know, that it had to be so hardly fought for and um mm. that you had to convince people that there'd be a convention on the rights of people with disability right up to 2004 um yeah what a yeah. fight
0: and 2006 when it was adopted was a very exciting moment
1: yeah what a moment uh, i wonder sure I, I can imagine the uh the party after that happened um was a good uh, good night out. Um or, or you went straight to sleep. Um, oh, one no, or the other. No.
0: It was a big it was a good night out. It was a oh, very okay. big night out. But what goes on to her stays on to her. Excellent.
1: That's what we like to hear. Well, my last question, Rosemary, is a question I ask all our guests on Conversations with Changemakers, which is when you want to get fired up to make some change, what song do you put on?
0: Oh, well, I have to say it, I used it in part of my speech, in my acceptance speech for um the human rights medal and it would be hilltop woods no bleed sit, nose nose and bleed Insection.
1: section that's one of mine rosemary that's incredible oh isn't it great i love the hilltop woods that's yeah. such a great choice and it means i don't have to whittle it out of my top three because it'll <laughs> be on there so Thank you. Oh, what a song. I love it. You really a are bummer. a rebel. I um I'm so thankful that we got to chat with you. Um you're an icon of the Australian disability rights movement and uh we are so lucky to have you on Conversations with Changemakers and just involved in this program. Um
0: it is such a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Ellie, I think you're being very generous with your words, but thank you. It's been great. Thank you. Bye. Cheers.